Welcome to Seeking Paradise, Reflections on Spirituality, Community and Justice from Stephen Lingwood. We live in a time of climate crisis. And one of the questions uh, that I want to urgently explore is what sort of spirituality will help us to live through these times. And I think one answer is that we need a spirituality of resistance. Some of us see this more clearly than others. And so there is a need for us to be really clear why we need to resist and what we are resisting. The simplest way I can say this is that the world is on fire. And we can't deal with that unless we deal with the arsonists who are setting it on fire. We can't just put a thimble of water on the fire and say, I've done my bit, while down the road someone is actively pouring petrol on the fire. We have to confront, we have to resist those who are actively pouring petrol on the fire. So we can't deal with the climate crisis by making bland statements about loving the earth and remaining stubbornly neutral on politics and the economics that are the ones pouring petrol on the fire. We have to deal with the, with the political and the economic systems that are the causes of the climate crisis. What is that, that politics and that economics? To answer that question, we have to understand what's been going on in the world in the last 40 years. Because we've known very clearly about the climate crisis since the 1980s. So the really key question is, why haven't we already dealt with this problem? Why wasn't this problem dealt with when I was a child? How come it's still around now I'm an adult when we knew about it on the day I was born? Like, what the hell has been going on? That's the question. What the hell has been going on in the last 40 years? that's meant that we haven't dealt with the climate crisis. Like what, what is the explanation for that? And there's an explanation that is one word, and that word is neoliberalism. The 1980s was a time when this new powerful ideology was rising in the world, the ideology of neoliberalism. So just when a massive intervention in the global economy to shift from a carbon-based economy to a non-carbon-based economy was most needed, there was this ideology on the rise that believed in and preached and evangelized incredibly successfully vast deregulation of free markets, privatization, and ending economic growth and consumerism. The doctrine of neoliberalism is that market forces must be left alone. And so a deliberate intervention to force a transition out of carbon was against the dogmas of neoliberalism. And that's why it didn't happen in the 1980s and the 1990s and why it still doesn't happen today. Naomi Klein's excellent book, This Changes Everything, Capitalism Versus the Climate, really meticulously and brilliantly demonstrates this. She puts her finger on exactly what the problem is. 
exactly how the doctrines of neoliberalism, free market fundamentalism, growthism, and the powerful disciples of these ideologies have been and are the real block to effective climate action. That's why we haven't dealt with the climate crisis, because of the think tanks that promote neoliberalism, the politicians that believe it, the oil companies that profit from it, the financial industries that profit from it, the banks that bankroll it, and the international free trade agreements that give legal backing to it. These are the arsonists pouring oil on the fire. These are the powers that are responsible for blocking climate action, as well as being responsible for a massive transfer of wealth from the poor to an elite capitalist class. That's what the hell has been going on in the last 40 years. And there is no dealing with this crisis without clearly naming and holding responsible those people and powers that are causing it. There are particular structures of power that are responsible for the climate crisis, as well as much else in our world today. And our moral and necessary for survival obligation is to resist these powers, to cultivate a spirituality of resistance, because these powers are ultimately suicidal. We are on a direction as a human race, as a human civilization, that is suicidal, that is irrational, deeply, deeply irrational. It doesn't make sense to live in an economy that does such damage to the world that it becomes no longer livable. That doesn't make any sense. And yet this is baked in to the way our politics and our economics is organized. And so we have to cultivate a spirituality of resistance. Now, to do this, we need to understand something about the nature of power. How the powers that run this world are and always have been both physical and spiritual. These are spiritual things. I've already been talking in religious and spiritual terms about all of these things. There's a spiritual power behind these things. Now, I don't mean by saying that, that it's literally Satan with a pointy tail that's really behind neoliberal capitalism. But what I do mean is that there's a kind of an inner spirit. There's an inner spirit to these things that is more than the sum of their parts. Because if we just get rid of one government or one think tank or one politician, neoliberal capitalism would still exist because it's a spirit. It's an ideology. In a very significant way, it's a kind of a religion. It's a kind of a religion. And just like there was a Roman Empire with its own religion of worshipping the emperor. But that continued with different emperors, though the emperors came and emperors died. The cults, the, the religion of worshipping the emperor continued. So it wasn't just about one particular emperor in the Roman Empire. There was something bigger than just one person in this worship of power and this Roman um, imperial cult in this religion of worshiping the emperor of the Roman empire. And now we live in a different kind of empire with a different kind of worship of power. And it's very similar, but also the key difference is that it's much more invisible to us. It's much less clear to us 
that there is something strange, that there is a particular world, a particular religion, a particular culture in which we live, in which there is this power uh, that we are supposed to worship. And so because what we're dealing with is kind of spiritual, it requires a spiritual resistance to deal with it. And the first part of this process is naming the power. And this sort of language, by the way, comes from um, a, a theologian called Walter Wink. One of the reasons we find it difficult to imagine a different world is that we really don't often name the system that we live under. Uh, it, it's, 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 the, it's the water we swim in, it's the air we breathe. Um, um, it takes effort, that effort of resistance to step back and look at it and think, what is the nature of this world that we live in? So we don't often talk about that in this world. We don't often talk about this is the system we live under, neoliberalism. So just it's the act of giving this, this label, neoliberalism, to this system we live under, which is the cause of the climate crisis, is the first part of dealing with it. Why? Well, why do you think we name hurricanes and even winter storms now in the UK? It's because our psychology means we understand and take seriously that which is named. So if I tell you it's going to be very windy and rainy tomorrow, that doesn't have the same effect as saying to you, Storm Dennis is coming tomorrow. That has such a, a, a deeper effect. Uh, 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 we take it more seriously. When something is named, even personified, even made to be almost a person, we are much more likely to take response in action, take action in response to it. And so our blindness, our, our ignorance of the power we live under is deliberate. The power of neoliberalism wants to remain unnamed in the shadows. So it just seems like the natural inevitable world we live in. It just seems like there is no alternative. But there is, it's a system we've chosen as a, as a society to be in. Or we haven't chosen it, but, the, but the, the, the political systems we live under have chosen this way of being. It is our choice ultimately as a humanity if we have the power to choose to live in a certain way, to live in a different kind of a way. So we can name neoliberalism as a power. And we can do that in a credibly concrete way. We can name think tanks that influence government policy. But we can also understand how these things go much, much deeper, much, much more spiritual. Once we have named the power, we must unmask it. This task of unmasking is now the most urgent need in the work of climate justice. Indeed, it's the failure to effectively name and unmask the powers that is the source of much of our ineffectiveness in climate campaigning. The great problem with climate activism is this sense that we don't name and unmask the powers effectively enough. We desperately say someone needs to do something, but we struggle to say who. Who needs to do what and what's stopping them? What's stopping them from doing it and why haven't they already done it? What exactly 
is the power we are in opposition to. Often the ineffective answer to who needs to do what, the wrong answer to who needs to do what, is we all need to do something. In this sense, because so much of our climate conversation concentrates on just changes to our lifestyle, less meat switch, switching to a greener energy supplier, driving a little less. Neoliberalism's culture has so dominated us that we try to solve the climate crisis through individual consumerism, through the choices I make as a consumer, and that's it. That's the only power we believe we have, the power to make individual choices as a consumer, which of course is an incredibly limited power. It's, 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 it's the artificialness of choice. It's the illusion of choice to make us think we have power when we in fact are in a system that doesn't give us much power. Because consumerism is one aspect of neoliberalism. It's one of the causes of the crisis itself. And we cannot solve a problem with the same logic that caused it. Nevertheless, that consumerist response remains so dominant in much of the climate conversation. The answer we're told in BBC documentaries, for example, is that we all have to do our bit. And if we do, the cumulative effort will make a difference. But it won't. It simply won't. Us all doing our bits will not solve the climate crisis because it won't change the system. The climate crisis is caused by our global economic systems of which we're all a part and can only be changed by a massive overhaul of our global economic systems. And this will only come about by us naming and actively resisting the systems of power by us saying the way the world is organized right now is not good enough. It's not working. We don't want to do it anymore. And that becomes a demand. And that's the truth that the powers do, the do their best to hide from us. This is what leads oil companies to encourage things like getting us to work out our personal carbon footprint. This is a tactic employed by things like oil companies to get us to be distracted and to remove our sense of responsibility away from the systems of high carbon capitalism and the 1% richest, richest and onto individual consumers. It's a campaign of distraction to keep the truth of our situation, the system we live in under the shadows. And so the spiritual, the religious, the prophetic task is to tell the truth of this in louder and louder ways. We must unmask the powers. And once we know these are the powers, we, become, we can begin to fight against them. Their unmasking is their undoing, as the darkness is, the, is their greatest weapon. Because we often talk about you know, the climate crisis and we protest about the climate crisis, as so many of us protested against the Iraq war. But are we unmasking the powers beneath these injustices, the story that links it all together? Do we understand the Iraq war as part of the climate crisis? As driven by the carbon economy needing more, 
more oil reserves. And how those same powers now undermine our efforts to move away from carbon. Can we understand the Iraq war, the climate crisis, workers dying in factories in Bangladesh to make our clothes as all part of the same story, all rooted in the same power? Because once we understand this truth, and once millions of, uh, millions of us understand this truth, our attention becomes sharply focused on unmasking and defeating this power. And at that point, its days become numbered. We will see this economic model isn't serving us, and we must turn away from it. And that's the revolutionary moment. That's when we begin to be part of a revolution that moves us, moves the world in a different direction. Then and only then do we begin to effectively counter the climate crisis. A spirituality of resistance actively resists the powers of the carbon neoliberal economic order. How do we do that? We tell the truth consistently, repeatedly, that this power is responsible for the climate crisis, as well as global economic inequality, violence against indigenous peoples and regimes of austerity. We actively join with coalitions of people telling this truth and calling for climate justice and transformational change in our world. And we continue to educate, educate ourselves and raise our awareness of it all. And we are led by the spiritualities of resistance of indigenous peoples. Indigenous peoples and those most directly affected by environmental destruction have been cultivate, cultivating a spirituality of resistance for centuries. We follow their leadership. This is simultaneously a movement against colonialism. Now, that doesn't mean non-native peoples stealing the religious and cultural practices of those indigenous spiritualities. That would just be more extraction. It means listening and learning and engaging more deeply with our own spiritual traditions, finding those places of resistance in our own spiritual traditions, which for me is the Christian tradition. Or it means if you don't have a tradition, seeking out an authentic religious tradition and entering into its practices so that you can cultivate your spirituality of resistance. As a radical Christian, I turn to my Christian and Jewish roots to understand that I am part of a story of resistance. I turn to the prophet Isaiah, who struggled under the tyranny of the Babylonian Empire. I turn to the prophet Jesus, who struggled under the tyranny of the Roman Empire. And I understand myself and my community as part of a struggle too, under the tyranny of an empire of neoliberalism. Though of course it is an empire that as a white person, as a Western person, I've also greatly benefited from. But when I enter into the stories of my faith, I understand we are dealing with a struggle that has always existed in different forms. The struggle between the powers of empire and the powers of the God of liberation. 
I am part of a struggle that connects with those who struggled in the past, if I choose to be. I am part of a vision of those who have looked forward to a future of justice that beckons us forward. That's the story I need to tell and the song I need to sing to grow my spirituality of resistance. So we understand what we are resisting. We name it and we unmask it. We understand it's a kind of a religion. And so it requires a religious or spiritual approach to really understand it. And we resist with the telling of the stories and the singing of the songs of liberation that echo down the ages.